This is Therapy-ish. All of my therapy issues. I am Aisha Creary, founder and owner of Crave Counseling, located in North Austin. I'm excited to be presenting to you all of this therapy ish stuff. I am also happy to be able to have these conversations about all things therapy related and its relationship within the minority communities. Although I'm excited to have these conversations with my guests and my listeners, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis or become triggered during these conversations, I encourage you to reach out to a local therapist or a mental health hospital for immediate assistance. All right, therapy issues, we're back with another episode. We are going to be talking about trauma-informed parenting with Samaria Vinzant. And I'm going to let her introduce herself, tell you guys how she can be reached and a little bit more about herself and how she became a therapist. Okay, okay. So I'm Zamaria Benzant. I know it's a lot of letters, lots of letters. <laughs> so uh, most of my kids call me Miss Z. And I am a licensed professional counselor in Texas. I'm the owner of Embracing Minds Counseling in Austin. And I see clients that are 12 and up. So I focus on like a range of issues from depression, anxiety, um, and to suicidal ideation. I can be reached uh, via my website. So it's www.zamariajohn.com because that was my maiden name. And then also my website, Embracing Minds. My email, www.embracingminds. My phone number, which I'm sure will be attached when Asia makes her whole thing. And I also have like multiple social media platforms, which I'm sure she'll also add. So that's at Zamaria Vinzan or at Embracing Minds, whatever you want to do to contact me. But how did I become a counselor? So really took a psychology class and wanted to get to know myself and realized that, huh, like introspection is fun. Maybe I should do that for some other people. Love talking to people. And I know therapy is about listening, but you get to meet lots of people and talk to them. So it's, it was a perfect fit for me. Definitely love what I do and kind of have let it take me where it goes. All right. Thank you for sharing that information for our listeners. Okay. So what would trauma-informed parenting look like? Well, I guess to start with trauma-informed parenting, I guess the first thing is to talk about like, what exactly is trauma? So trauma, it happens as a result of like, violence, abuse, neglect, loss, disaster, but even things that we don't maybe note as trauma, like emotional harmful experiences. So like, for example, you have bad experiences at home, you have bad experiences at school, those can be traumatic as well. And those leave us in emotionally raw places. And trauma-informed parenting is kind of dealing with that and making sure that you're communicating with your child so that they are able to process all of their emotion because things that are not, you know, transformed are transferred. So the negative things that we see that kids do is a response to trauma. Something is happening. We don't know exactly what it is. And the goal of trauma-informed parenting is to figure out what that is and make sure that we can help our kids. Okay, okay. So I was having a conversation yesterday with someone and we were talking about spankings in general. And this might be something we might get back to later on in the podcast episode, but I wanted to start kind of asking you a little bit about that. So for instance, with 
within the Black and Latino communities, we joke about our trauma. So we might say, oh, my mom hit me with the chancla. And we joke about it. But in actuality, you know, we have to figure out is hitting my child with this with this chancla or hitting my child with this fly swatter, is this traumatic to them? Or like, what? Do, why is it okay that I do it? And then my kids have to later normalize that trauma and it goes from generation to generation where we're, we're essentially beating our kids. And again, I'm not saying that kids don't deserve whoopings. I'm also not saying that <laughs> kids need, you know, it, you know, as a parent, you do what's best for your household. But I want to make sure that I touch on like, as a parent, can we truly evoke trauma in our kids when it comes to spankings and telling our kids, you ain't going to be ish, you're going to be just like your daddy? Like, is that traumatizing to our kids? Well, yeah, especially the second one. Tell them you, go, you ain't going to be ish and you're going to be just like your daddy, especially when she know you don't like their daddy. That's definitely traumatic. I think that the biggest part of that, because, for example, I could talk about my spankings and they weren't traumatic to me. Right. But... I, I think that one thing that was big is that I always felt heard in my house when I was growing up. There was never a time where like, I would be like, well, something small, something, a small opinion. Like, I don't want to eat macaroni tonight. And my mom would be like, well, you eating that shit. And, and it, oh, so maybe not cursing. Uh, you eating it <laughs> and it, it, ain't nothing you can do about it. Like there was never a time that was like that for me. But a lot of the times parenting looks like, well, you're going to listen. You're going to respect me you're going to do all these things and the child feels like they have no choice. So then they kind of learn to be helpless. Mm -hmm. Like the world is just happening to me and somebody that feels like the world is just happening to them then stops doing things that can progress their life because they feel like, well, no matter what this stuff is going to happen to me. So you don't want to teach your child to be helpless. Trauma informed parenting is making sure that your child feels seen and heard and valued. So the connection between a child and a parent should be about you having a, a connection. They should be able to give and receive without a judgment. Now, should they be respectful? Yes. And that's one thing that you can teach and not saying that spanking is a hundred percent bad, but, or, you know, you do it's best for your household. You know. <laughs> some things are warranted. I mean, some <laughs> things are just warranted, you know, sometimes you, you know, your mom said, Hey, come home at a certain time because I fear for your safety as a black or a Latina Latino child. And you stay out until two, three o'clock in the morning. And at that point, you've been told that so many times you might get popped with the chunkla or you might get hit with the fly swatter. And again, I am not saying that these things are necessarily okay, but some things, some things require certain behaviors again don't come kill me no I'm not a parent and yes I still have to learn a little bit more about parenting but I just know that there is a balance between how parents promote discipline within their household some parents they're okay with a with a pop and then they have a conversation about why that happened and then for other parents they just go straight to beating like there is no conversation in between it's like Oh, you don't know what you did? I'm gonna show you what you did. And then it goes into the spanking part. And then on the in other end of the spectrum, you have parents who don't believe in it at all, where they're just like, this is my child. 
we're okay with having a conversation and my child respects me and we have that level of balance. And then there's another piece of that where there's parents who don't discipline their kids and their kids are running the household. So thank you for that. So do you believe that Black and Latino and Hispanic kids have historically done parenting through the lens of trauma? I would say definitely yes. I think whenever you're telling your kids something to stay alive or to stay safe, that is parenting through a lens of trauma because you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to do that. You should kids should be allowed to be kids, but in our communities we have these rules of thumb that kind of like you're supposed to do to stay alive. And it's kind of a hard place to be as a parent because like you want your child to know his or her worth, right? But then you also don't want them to feel small to make other people comfortable. So it's like a weird place because you want them to be respectful so they can stay alive and you want them to be informed about what's going on, but then you don't want to take away their childhood. It's it's a very, it's a very tricky place to be in. In our communities, we have these things that are passed down. So, like for example, don't run when you're in a nice neighborhood. Like, why is that a thing? That's a lens of trauma. So the fact that there was people that were killed whenever they were running around rich neighborhoods. So you probably shouldn't do that. That is a lens of trauma. Whenever a lot of our communities joke about whenever you date like a white person. So that is a lens of trauma because for example, Emmett too looked at a white girl and got killed. So that's a lens of trauma. Definitely. The thing is it's getting harder to do now though. Because like the media is showing us that even if we follow these rules of thumb that you're supposed to do, like don't look like a thug, uh, go to school, do all these things. And then like people are sleeping in their homes and getting killed. So like you, it, it's really hard to, to say that your safety and your livelihood are givens. And that lens of trauma is just getting harder and harder to look through. So that can leave people feeling really helpless. That's that's very true. Um, I remember having a conversation with with a kid of mine because there was something that happened within the classroom and they made a statement because we do know that those same individuals that we have to walk on eggshells around because they don't look like we look. Those same individuals are teaching in our school systems. Those same individuals are policing our neighborhoods. Those same people are providing healthcare to us. Like all of these different industries, those people are going into an environment where they have not checked their, their bias at the door. And so I remember having a conversation with a kid and he was like, it doesn't matter. Everybody knows that this particular person is racist and they haven't gotten fired and they won't get fired. So what's the point of telling? And so our kids go through this process and even us as adults, we go through this process where we begin to normalize that trauma that we've experienced. And it's not fair to anybody. It's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to the industry. And it's not fair to the community because our kids have to learn to code switch at a young age. And it's just, it's not fair. It's not fair for anybody. Um, and again, that that's even my Latino community. Like, you know, I've had people tell me that they've been given traditional ethnic names to as a way to minimize them, similar to how the Black population has been using the word Karens and Kevins to describe a particular person who exhibit a particular 
behavior. And the Latino and Hispanic community is experiencing the same thing. And so it's like, like you said earlier, it's so hard to to rewire that trauma and to not normalize it because what we're going through is not okay. We've, we've normalized it to a place to where like at any point we joke about it because it's just a given. We're just out here like, uh-oh. You know, we, we have to, we just have to joke about our pain because that is the only way that we've seemed to be able to process that. That's something important to talk about is that our kids learn from us. So if you're joking about it, then they feel like it's a joke instead of actually talking about how that's not right. So it's really important to have for your child to feel safe with you, to feel that they can say, but that made me feel weird. And just because you had the experience does not mean it's okay. So it's really us checking our experiences at the door so that we're then able to properly parent our, our and uh, properly parent is such a, is a, such a tricky thing to say, because what is proper parenting, but so that we can do what's best for our kids. So it's a weird place to be in for sure. Okay. So how can parents use adverse childhood experiences and their experiences to break generational curses? Well, I think that the first thing is that parents need to promote an environment of healing and recovery instead of doing things that will re-traumatize their kids. So throughout life, we're going to experience different traumas. Pain is is a, is a thing of life. Suffering does not have to be a thing of life, but pain is a thing of life. We're going to experience these things, but we don't have to re-traumatize our kids or traumatize our kids just because we were traumatized. So it's really taking the experiences that you had and transforming them. But like I said before, unless you properly process, then it's just going to be transferred. So you have to transform the things you experienced. To be all therapy-y, there's five principles to trauma-informed care. So it's safety, choice, collaboration, trustworthiness, and empowerment. So uh, the first one, safety, is ensuring that physical and emotional safety of our kids. So making sure that when they're at the house, they feel safe. And a lot of the times, and this is a fun thing to talk about, it's like, okay, well, I grew up in a neighborhood where they, sh- where they were shooting. They're not shooting here, so my kids should be fine. But like making sure that your child does feel safe. And what does that mean to your kid? And that's why these conversations are important. And then choice, giving the child individual choice and control. So this does not mean that they are running the household at all. But what it does is that they have some type of autonomy in some area so they don't feel helpless because they might go out into the world and feel helpless and be told that they should feel helpless. So you have to make sure they don't feel that way at home. And then also collaboration. So making decisions with them. So letting them know about stuff that's going on too. And they feel like a part of the process and that can decrease that helplessness as well. And then trustworthiness. So like being clear with what you're saying, being consistent, respecting their boundaries, because kids have boundaries. I think that's one thing that a lot of us grow up thinking like, well, no, people can do whatever, but that's not a thing. You, you, you have boundaries and you have to actually respect them for your child too. So for example, I'm not sure if this is something you experienced, but like having people at church that are always like, well, go, go hug that person, go hug that person. It's okay for your kid to not want to hug that person. 
Because what you're teaching them is that no matter what, if a person wants to hug you, they get to hug you. And unless you're having conversations, then you don't know exactly what they're picking up. That's true. That is very true. Anybody that knows me on a personal level knows that Aisha don't do hugs. They also know that anytime someone is disturbing my peace, I will let it be known and I will walk away from the situation. That let that lets the other person know that I'm okay with who I am and I'm okay with not being in, in situations that don't make me comfortable. And so as kids, they have to learn that if something is not sitting well with them, that it's okay for them to not do something. That even goes to the parents who are forcing their kids to be the next LeBron James. If that child does not want to play sports, you have to allow them to develop into who they want to be because you can try to make them be this grandiose athlete and they don't meet the expectation. And at that point, they're struggling with low self-esteem around their athletic abilities. And that's not fair to them because they never wanted to play sports. Your kid might be into coding and Roblox and C++ and all the other types of coding platforms that's out there. And you're forcing this child to play sports. But I'll digress. Yes. <laughs> that's definitely a thing is uh, putting unrealistic expectations on your child or not taking, and that's what I'm talking about, that collaboration, what they want to do into account. So many people go to college and think, well, I have to be a doctor or a lawyer. And there's hundreds of other professions that they can make a good amount of money in. Because what they were taught is, in order for me to live a good life, I have to be a doctor or a lawyer. And that the, the goal is to live a good life. So they're like, okay, well, if I want to live a good life, I guess I got to do that. So, but then if they find out that that's not their passion, then they're like, well, what do I do now? And you don't want to leave your child feeling helpless. That is the whole thing of trauma-informed parenting is making sure your child does not feel helpless. Mm-hmm. And the last thing on my little list is empowerment. So basically really prioritizing their skills and showing them that they are capable. Uh, the biggest thing of this is that We are resilient and then discussing life's events. Our kids look up to us, regardless of what we're doing, they look up to us. So they see what we do. And from that, they pick up what they're capable of. So we have to empower our kids and we can show them they are not small, even when the world is trying to make them feel that way. And we can use hard experiences that we had to be better parents. So instead of passing down the trauma, we pass down the healing practices. So. That's my little soapbox for the aces. All right. Thank you for that. Within our communities, what do you feel like is the best way for us to shift our paradigm on parenting within our communities? And we're going to touch more specifically on empathy and communication. Okay. So we really have to shift to the idea that our thoughts, our our kids' thoughts and emotions actually matter. The things that they're feeling matter. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard this before, but like, stop crying or I'm gonna give you something to cry about. Let's get to why the kid is crying. Let's let's get to that. But you're telling them that they're soft because they're crying when they have something that's actually sad to them. What that whole statement teaches them is that it's bad for me to cry, so I shouldn't cry. So even when things are bad, I won't cry. 
The problem with that is, is that if you don't feel those things, then it's harder to feel the positive things too. So life is kind of like a up and down chart. In order to feel the highs, you got to feel the lows. And if you're teaching your child that they're not allowed to even express their lows, then what you get is a robot. And who wants to be around a robot? Yeah, and those those same individuals, which, and I don't want to take away from this particular conversation, but when it goes into toxic masculinity, our boys are taught are, are taught that it's not okay to cry. And like you said before, if they're taught to no longer experience those emotions of sadness, those emotions of love, those emotions of of things that they were taught to suppress, they normalize not experiencing those feelings. And when it is time to experience it, they don't know how to, like men who don't smile or men who struggle to smile even when they're happy. Or, and, and you, you know, they get married and their wives are like, they don't, they don't talk about their feelings. And it's like, how could they? They were never taught to. And then the same on the other end, you know, as women, we're taught to always play the damsel in distress. Now, don't get me wrong. We are taught to get our own bag, but outside of that, we're taught to be the damsel in, damsel in the sh- distress. And so we go throughout life thinking that, and again, I don't want to misspeak for the entire woman population, but we go through this phase of struggling to support others sometimes. And then sometimes we go through this process of struggling to turning those emotions off. And, you know, if we are experiencing high feelings of anger, you know, we could easily be titled as the angry black girl or the spicy Latina. You know, it's a catch 22. Either you turn them on or you turn them off. But at some point we have to learn that balance. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that we say, it's really just being really aware. So like even like if your kid decides to dress up and you're like, who are you looking cute for? Hey. Okay. <laughs> I can't look cute for myself. Like, like, what if I wasn't looking cute for anybody? And then, like, is it bad that I look cute? Okay, so you want me to wear sweats? Okay, cool. So then you notice after that statement, your kid wears sweats for three weeks, and you're like, "Huh, I wonder why my kid is so bummy." And that the last time they were cute, you, you said they would be cute for somebody. You're making them small. You don't want to make your child feel small. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that's that's really the biggest thing. You don't want to make make your kid feel less than. Okay. And then when it when it also comes to the communication aspect and I want to touch more specifically specifically on discipline when we are communicating with our kids and how we parent our kids and how our parents parented us, it's starting to shift to where again, I'm not saying that these things are not happening, but it's going from your grandparents telling their kids, you are, you are not going to do this, yelling and spankings, right? And then from that generation, it went from your parents to telling you that this is how my mom did it. I'm going to take a little bits and pizzas from that. I'm still going to hand out spankings, but I'm still going to have conversations. And there are some people who are falling on the two extremes. And then underneath them, we have our kids who are extremely resilient, powerful, and they are with the ish. Like they are with it. These kids are in a place where they've been empowered. More and more kids are being empowered by their parents. And they're like, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to deal with this because I was 
provided my my self-worth. My mom always reassured or my dad always reassured that this is okay. Or my grandparents or my aunt or my uncle, whoever was raising me, they reassured me that it was okay for me to be unapologetic. It was okay for me to be upset. It was okay for me to have passion about a particular topic. That's one end of it. But then we're also going from that negative communication or trying to be less negative in our parenting from the gender from the generations above us. You have some people that say it's slave mentality as to the way that we communicate with our children. There was an article on Instagram and I forget the lady name who did this whole video over slave mentality, but that's big in the black community, but on the Latino Hispanic community, some of that stuff is also translated from generation to generation from the negative comments and the religious abuse that happens has now shifted where more and more parents are giving their kids voice. It's really great to have a voice. I think that it's just amazing to, to, to see kids being willing to speak up. Like, I'm not sure if you've seen the things that kids are doing online right now, mm-hmm. but like that is a, it, it is a new generation and they mm-hmm. are like, nah, we, y'all ain't supposed to be doing that. So let me go ahead and tell you, since you're not supposed to be doing that, let me tell you what you're supposed to be doing. So it's all about, you know, making sure they're informed so that the things they're saying are right because they do feel that empowerment to, to say so. Yeah. And even when you're communicating with someone who's just experienced trauma, I remember one incident in sp- more specifically is where I was leaving work and someone had me blocked in. And this is when I lived in Dallas. And I was like, okay, I don't see anybody. So I was honking my horn. I was hoping somebody would come out. And so the car behind me that had me blocked in was empty. So I pulled the door handle to see if that alarm would go off to say, hey, like, hey, your car alarm is going off. Come outside to see why. And I remember the guy came out. This white guy came out. And he was like, what are you doing touching my effing car? And I was like, hey, like, I'm sorry that I touched your car. I'm just really trying to get home. I'm still in high school. I really need to get home because I have to get to school in the morning. This guy did not care. This guy humped a loogie and tried to spit on me. And he hopped in his car and he ran off. And I called the police. And the police was like, well, you have to go back to the area of incident. And I was like, I don't feel safe. And the officer was like, well, you still have to go back to that place. And I was like, why can't a police officer come to my house and take, and take you know, the information? I had the license plate. And I had the location in which it it happened. And like, I remember like feeling so defeated in it. Like I cried the entire night. And then when I mustered up the courage to tell somebody about that, I remember at the time my boyfriend was there and he was like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And he reassured me. But at the same time, when I did have a conversation with like the other people in my life, I remember somebody specifically said, oh, you better than me because I would have did da 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 da. And like that made me feel so small as if like I had the ability to do something about what had happened to me. Like I couldn't control someone else. And so whenever you're talking to your kids and your friends and like just people around you who are going through traumatic things, don't minimize them by saying, oh, you're better. You're better than me because I would have did this, 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 that and the other. Like that is re-traumatizing that individual because it's telling that's someone telling you like that. But they only did that because you you didn't have the strength to for it not to happen. And it's like, that's not fair to me. And so whenever you're talking to kids and they're going through things, as a parent, your kid comes home because they just got beat up at school. And your first question is, did you hit them back? Well, no, I didn't hit them back because I never had a fight before. Well, 
you better than me. I would have did this, this, that. And I bet you when you go back to school tomorrow, you better do this, this, that, and the other to the kid. And it's like, that's traumatizing. You're, I don't want to be a violent kid. That's not who I am. And you're forcing that on me. And so just be mindful that when people are sharing their traumas with you, don't do that. That is very traumatizing. And that is like the worst thing you can do to somebody. And it might just get you cut off. Yeah. And what you're teaching them is to survive. And it's like, first I thought I was just living life, but now, okay, cool. I'm at war. So what do people at war do? They stay on guard and you don't want to, you don't want a whole bunch of people around walking around on guard because whenever you see a kid flipping out about a pencil, it's not about the pencil, but they are surviving. They are protecting themselves. And you don't, it, it's not healthy to live in a place where you hect yourself. So yeah, that, and I hate that you experienced that. And, and that is often what people say. <laughs> if it was me, I would have did this. If it was me, I would have did this. For example, yeah, it, yeah, I don't, never mind. Yeah, and you have kids whose parents tell them those same things. If it was me, it would have been, we would have did this, this, that, and the other. And it's just like, but mom, it wasn't you. But dad, it wasn't you. It was me. And I've never experienced anything like this. And what do I do with that? And I, all I needed was for somebody to listen to me at that time. And then you 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 come with me with some stuff like that. Like, that'll get you cut off. That will get you, that will take you to a place in which your, your respect, as a, your child's respect for you as a parent becomes more and more diminished. Where kids are like, eh, I don't want to tell my mom this because... She just this. And, and like the level of trust goes away. Like they'll just be like, yeah, my mama don't respect me. So I don't respect her. Or my dad doesn't respect me. So I don't respect him. And you don't want that to happen because that turns into a bigger, a bigger problem later. Okay. So as a new parent or expecting parent, what are some of the traumas, anxiety, and fears that new parents within minority communities have to learn to get around without being helicopter parents or being extensively hard on their kids out of fear? Okay, so whenever I think about this, the first thing I think about is like, I had to talk to my therapist about this actually. Um, I kept having these dreams about pregnant slaves because well, after the most recent murders, because I was like, I'm having a boy and it's like really hard because I, I didn't have a dad growing up. So like, I don't really know what it's like to like be a black male. And although I have a husband, like, of course, as a, like a, a mom, I'm like, okay, well, I want to make sure I'm able to do all these things for my kid. And I know my husband's going to do some of it, but like, I want to be able to do it too. And I don't really know wh what to even start with on how to properly parent a boy. And I think about with the pregnant slaves, like you're pregnant and you know that your child is going to be sold. You know, your child is going to be a slave and like, that has to feel so helpless. And I was just thinking, like, whenever I'm bringing a kid into this world and, like, I'm not sure if you've seen the picture of the woman birthing a target, like, it, it's hard to not feel that way. Because how do you treat him? How do you teach him how to be a strong Black man that is going to stay alive and going to, but not be docile because I don't want my children to, to feel the need to make themselves small. It's a hard place to be and it's hard to figure out what the actual balance is. And I think that one thing that I've learned is from other parents that I've met is that you can only do so much. Like you can parent, 
and you can use your experiences to try to better your child's experiences. You can have conversations with them and keep them informed and collaborate with them. But after that, as long as they have the skills that will help them grow, you have to really trust that the world and God, because I'm a Christian, will take care of them. So um, the fear is there and you're going to be fearful, but you have to still give them some some room. I watched the show Working Moms and she's a helicopter mom and her kid is like three and he uses the restroom on himself. He can't, he can't dress himself. He can't do anything. And his teacher is like, well, you know, he's not really hitting any of the things that he's supposed to be hitting. If you helicopter too much, then you, you coddle and you're teaching them to, to be docile and teaching them that other people have to take care of them. So it's really just figuring out what the appropriate balance is for you, but then also making sure that you are empowering your child, teaching them they have skills. And to be resilient in the at the same time. Yeah. But I, I'm like, sometimes I wonder if like resilience is just instilled in us. Like that's just passed down from generation to generation. Nobody teaches it. It's just, we just do it. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about SEL, which is social emotional learning. How can SEL concepts be accessible and learned for parents learning to become more empathetic to parents? Okay. So social emotional learning. So I know that's, that's really your job. So social emotional learning is really teaching kids about how to, I guess, properly interact with others and uh, control their emotions in their environment and things like that. And the schools offer it, counselors offer it, the help is out there and you just have to be willing to look for it, um, work for it. Parenting is not a walk in the park. So at least that's what people keep telling me. Cause I'm like, no, my kid's going to be perfect. We're going to do this. We're going to take pictures. We're going to be on Instagram. It's going to be great. But everybody keeps telling me it's not going to be that easy. I'm, I'll let y'all know. Uh, I'll check in. Maybe she'll pull me on another show and I'll tell you how amazing my son is doing in a few months. But <laughs> I heard it's no walk in the park. So it's really just being aware, being intentional and looking things up. I know that so many schools, they have these resources and they're wanting parents to be involved. So just making sure that you're there and willing to like pull on it and be like, yeah, hey, I'll talk about this. Yeah, I think it's just, it, it really is like one of the biggest pieces of SEL. One is being in the moment. I think a lot of times we are either living in the past or we're living in the future where we're like, this is what I need to do tomorrow. This is what my child needs to do this. This is this. I need to go pick my son up later. I need to do this. I need to do that. And then on the end of that, it's like, I forgot to do this yesterday. Yesterday was terrible. This was this, this was that. It's hard to kind of live in the moment because we have so much information thrown at us throughout the day. And it's so much to process to where sometimes we just need to take a take a step back as a parent and say, okay, let me be in the moment with my child. Let me take this cell phone. Let me put it away. My child wants to play video games. That is what we're doing in this moment. My child wants to cook me dinner, fake dinner, play dinner. I just need to be in that moment. And I don't want, I don't need to take that moment away from them whenever they're trying to express some things, because a lot of people don't know that like kids playing is almost therapeutic. That's why they've come up with play therapy. And if you pay attention to the conversations that your kids are having with you when you're playing with them, a lot of times their traumas throughout the day come out during those play therapy sessions. And so whenever they are doing Doing those things, it's important for you to be in the moment so you don't miss it. Because a lot of times when things are happening to your kids, you don't find out until later. 
And then the kid is saying, yeah, I told you. And you're like, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. When we were playing video games yesterday, I told you so-and-so hit me and you didn't say anything. So I didn't say anything else. And then I told you last week, so-and-so pushed me down. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You were on your laptop when we were watching a movie. Kids will tell you the traumas that they're experiencing. And, and it's not to say that you can protect them from everything, but they're telling you because they want you to know. And they also want you to have a conversation with them about how they can make the right choice when things like that are thrown at them. So it's important to really, really be in the moment. Like that is the most important thing about SEO. The other important thing that I always try to instill in everybody around me is that every day is a new day. Um, if you know me, on a personal level, you would know that I get taken aback by the smallest things. Like if, if I'm having issues with my internet, I am in tears. If I'm having issues with not getting the mailbox open, I'm like in tears. And so I've had to learn that those are things that are inconveniences, which cause trauma to me. And it might seem so small to somebody else, but I've had to learn to like, not allow those things to impact my daily moments. And then I also had to know that it was important for me to, to know that every day is a new day. And I always try to instill that in people like, yes, I cried yesterday about opening the mailbox, but I don't care. Today is a new day. I'm a new woman. I'm a new person. And it's the same with your kids. It's okay that your kids go through negative times. It's okay that they go through bad seasons. But as a parent, you have to remember that every day is a new day. Every season is a new day. Every moment is a new moment. And for some kids, Every 15 minutes is a new process. Like, yes, they may remember what happened yesterday, but they may not remember what happened 15 minutes ago. And they mind, their mind has shifted from, I just got a whooping to, I want gummy bears. And you can't, you can't carry over that anger. You can't be, you can't hold that grudge towards your kids whenever they do something you don't want them to do. Yeah, that's actually something that <laughs> my uh, husband had to tell me about our dog. She did something bad. Then she wanted to come on me and he was like, you already put her in the cage and she's out the cage now. You can't still be mean to her. I was like, huh, I guess maybe that's, I'm happy he said, that. I'm going to have to do that with my kids. And, and then it's like, who going to check me, boo, your husband? <laughs> exactly. Your husband. Like, it's your yeah. husband. Um, yeah. But before we we go into like the, the ending comments, I kind of want to ask about trauma-informed parenting during COVID. Right now, some of our kids are not understanding why they can't hug their friends. Um, and that's traumatic to them. And some of our kids aren't understanding why they can't go to school and see their favorite teacher. Some of us are struggling with losing family members and coworkers and just the people around us being significantly impacted and our kids still trying to figure out what is this new world that we're living in. And that's traumatic to them. So with that, it's really talking to your child about what's going on, ensuring that they're having quality experiences with you. And you're kind of like filling the gap that they're missing out on from the experiences that they have with their friends, the experiences that they have with their loved ones um, outside of you. And now finding ways that you can kind of mimic those experiences and love those experiences. So um, just finding ways, um, approaching situations creatively, really embracing their emotions, um, reducing the words and not preaching to them. I think that's one thing that's really important that I've had lots of kids talk to me about, especially teenagers, is that like their parents don't listen to them. They tell them what they're feeling. 
instead of listening to what they're feeling. And I think that giving them the space to actually speak is very important and involving the child. And then also emphasizing the positive. So like, what can you guys do that's positive and how can you embrace that? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think there's so many parents who are trying to figure out, well, my kid's not going back to school or my kid is going back to school. They need to be X, Y, and Z. And I know that from the time that we record this episode to the time in which it's it's published, there are going to be some changes in how school will go. And on either end of the spe- spectrum, either you're sending them back or you're not. And granted, this is before we figure out what's truly going to happen. How traumatic is it for you to send your kid back? Because yeah. you, because, and I'm not going to use the word selfish, but because you think it's important for them to go back. How traumatic is that for them to no longer walk a school building and whether or not you're being a helicopter parent or you're being overly critical of this COVID stuff. And again, I'm not trying to minimize it and I'm trying to, I'm not trying to maximize COVID and its ability to impact any community. But I just wanted to speak more specifically on that because them going back to school could be traumatic and them never going back could be traumatic for them. Yeah. And realizing that both of those are possible. Mm -hmm. So, for example, it might be hard for a parent that their kid is always acting up at school to understand why they're missing school, but still giving them the space and talking about why that's hard for them. What's the hardest thing about this? Mm -hmm. And having like a question like that, they're like, huh, I never even thought about what's the hardest part, but let me tell you. And then you're able to have this conversation. You've opened up that they can talk to you. So, yeah having that yeah okay do you have any last comments or if you want to reshare your social media handles for us yes um so this is the last thing is i know we gave like lots of like stuff about parenting but there is no guidebook but i will say that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is insanity that is like definition of it so if you are going out and having these different experiences, or I mean, these experiences that you had and doing the exact same thing that you had and you knew it wasn't good for you, then it's time to really process, process, transform so that you can change it for your kid. We have to change the narrative. We have to use our experiences to give our children better ones. I think that that's like the most important thing. Um, If you want to follow me, I share little daily things mostly at Zamaria Venzant. So Z-A-M-A-R-I-A, V as in Victor, E-N-Z-A-N-T. Or you can just get on my website, uh, which is www.embracingminds.com. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you again to all of my therapy issues from Asia M. Creary. You can find us on social media at Twitter at TherapyIshPod. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at TherapyIshPodcast. Please feel free to like, share, and subscribe.